David is going to come share the word. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, David's going to share the word. And at the, at the end of the service, right at the very end of the service, we, we are going to pass out the emblems. Um, so uh, Dave's just going to come share the teaching now. And at, at the end of the service, after I've done my message, which is, also happens to be on the bread and the wine, so uh, we'll, we'll, break the, uh, we'll break bread then. So praise God. Dave, if you'd like to come forward and share. So each of those miracles, you know, different reasons why 
Charlie broke them down and, and we, his God's we understand it more. Healing a man born blind from birth and raising Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for four days. We never hear of any of those in any of the other Gospels. <coughs> Only two miracles, walking on the water and feeding the 5,000 are actually in all the Gospels. <coughs> but of course the other, other Gospels write about many miracles, don't they? There are also seven important statements about Jesus himself which appear in John as the I am sayings, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the light, the way, the truth and the light, and the true vine. They're very amazing um, claims that Jesus made and declared. It's very interesting noting what each writer of the Gospels emphasized when they first start introduce Jesus. Mark wrote about Jesus' first public appearing at 30 years of age in the Galilean countryside. Matthew was the author of perhaps the next Gospel to be written and he gave the details concerning Jesus' birth and because he was a Jew, the genealogy of Jesus had to go back to Abraham. Luke felt that since Jesus was the Son of Man, he must be seen as a human being belonging to the whole human race. So he traced Jesus' genealogy right back to Adam. So Mark starts with just Jesus that he appeared to, to the people at that time. Matthew goes back to, to Abraham and the other one goes right back to, to Adam. To, to, um, Luke, Luke goes back to Adam. In contrast to the other three Gospels, John decides to begin even earlier, emphasizing that Jesus existed before the creation. So the, he takes the words from Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and writes it as, in the beginning was the word, and the word, or the logos in Greek, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. It's amazing, isn't it, when we ponder on what John actually declared, but it's right through the Bible, really. <clears throat> on this first page of the Gospel, John says four vital things about Jesus. As the Word of God, and firstly His eternity, Second, his personality, then his deity and his humanity. First is eternity. In the beginning, the word was already there. We cannot go further back in our imagination than the beginning of the universe. Jesus was there then. He was not created, but he existed in equal status with God the Father as creator of the universe. Secondly, his personality. The Logos was the face-to-face -face with God. He is the word for two people. It's the word for two people looking into each other's eyes and loving one another. That's what, what the 
original language means when you think of the first two or three verses of, of John's Gospel. Christians are the only people on earth that can say that God is love because they are the only people who believe that God is three in one. God is more than one person and if he is father and son loving each other you can say he is love and always was love. Thirdly, his deity is important in, the, in those first verses of John's Gospel. In the beginning the word was already there face to face with God in a personal relationship and he was God. The word was not created nor was he any less than God. When Thomas finally met the resurrected Jesus, he was right to exclaim, My Lord and my God. <clears throat> Fourthly, his humanity. In chapter 1, verse 14 of John, Gospel, John's Gospel, we read the amazing words, The, the Word became flesh and pitched his, pitched his tent among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory such as you could only see in the one and only Son. Since Jesus is eternal, he can give us the everlasting life. Because he is personal, he's a, a, because of his personality, we can experience a personal relationship with him. And his deity, he alone can figure humanity, he can make atonement for us. Now, as we think of the of taking communion, let us note carefully what John does record of the crucifixion as he remembered it. After Jesus had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by the group of soldiers and Jewish officials, he was questioned by Caiaphas, the high priest, and then led to the palace of Pilate, the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning, Pilate went out again to Jesus. To the Jesus, to Jesus, and said, "I find no." I'm sorry, to the Jews. <laughs> Jesus, Pilate went out again to the Jews and said, "I find no basis for a charge against him, but he is. It is your custom for me to release one prisoner at a time in the Passover. Do you want me to release the King of the?" The, the king of the Jews. They, sh they shouted back, No, not him. Give us the rabbis. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And as we read this area now, we, in thinking of communion, we realise what Jesus did for us, don't we? <coughs> Soldiers twisted, they had him flogged. Blood was pouring down from his back. Soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on it over his head. They went up to him again and again and they struck him on the face. It was about mid morning at that time. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus and brought him to the place called Golgotha. There they crucified him. Crucified means nails through his hands or wrists. 
in defeat. Later, <coughs> knowing that he was all now completed, and so that the scripture should be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A sponge was soaked in a jar of wine vinegar and lifted to his lips and on a stalk of hyssop. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Kettle less die in the grave. I was going to say that, but it's what it is. Kettle less die. It's finished. <clears throat> With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Later, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear belonging to <coughs> bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. This happened so that the scriptures should be fulfilled. They will look on the one they have pierced. So we have the flogging, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, and his side pierced. Let's finish this morning with John's record of Jesus meeting the disciples after the resurrection. On the evening of the first day of the, of the week, su Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Lord, we thank you for John's Gospel. We thank you for so much other else there is there in that, that book that he wrote when he was an old man, remembering the things that had happened. Lord, we pray that you will bless this time this morning as we take communion and remember the things that Jesus passed through. Amen. Amen. I was walking perfectly up until Friday afternoon. Fantastic. I went and I ended up walking down a hill and my, my knees sore a little bit from there. But it's going, it's better, it's healed in Jesus' name. And I'm moving much better. So praise God. Thank you for your prayers. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Dave. That was really wonderful. It's good to know. You know, the first three gospels are often called the synoptic gospels because they they're very similar. Hence the synoptic gospels. John wrote much later, as, as David said, and he covered some material that the, the early gospels didn't uh, cover. So um, we've been enriched by uh, John's gospel. Hallelujah. Let's just commit this time to the Lord and ask his blessing upon everything that's said and done. Father, we're so grateful to you for your word. Your word is a living being, Lord. We thank you that you are essentially your word. And Father, as we come to study the scriptures this morning, I pray that there would be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would minister to us, and that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of your word. Pray, Father, we would uh, be blessed, and that we would see all that you have for us, and that we wouldn't miss anything, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I want to give you a bit of a, a brief uh, overview of what we looked at last week, because uh, the week before, because we had um, Len Butner's ministry. Wasn't that lovely? Len's that ministry. Um, but the week before, we'd started on the power of the Lord's table. And so I want to just give you a very brief uh, recap on that. The, the New Testament communion is a remembrance of the Passover meal, but more than that, it commemorates Christ's work on the cross. And so we, we, we're to look at it through the eyes of Christ. We're to approach it soberly and reverently. What I mean by that is not that uh, you have to come to the, um, the breaking of bread with doom and gloom, but respectfully. Whatever you do, do it respectfully. It can be a joyous and, and uh, a lively occasion, but it needs to be it needs to be done with dignity and uh, in, in reverence. Okay. So the Passover cup reminds the Jew and the Gentile of deliverance, of freedom, of liberty. Uh, for the Jews, they they were delivered from the bondage of slavery uh, and the tyranny of Pharaoh. For you and I, we're delivered from the bondage of sin and the tyranny of Satan. And so, um, it's it's a real beautiful picture. But deliverance. Uh, or Passover is really twofold, and we're so, so overwhelmed by the first aspect of it that we often overlook the second aspect. And of course, uh, the first aspect is the aspect of deliverance that everybody focuses on. But the second aspect of the Passover is restitution and how God really blessed um, the, the, the children of Israel as they left. Uh, this is the part that's often overlooked. I want to read to you the verse that relates to that from Exodus chapter 3 and verse 21 and 22. And I'm reading it from the Living Bible. And God is speaking. And, and, and I want you, to, want you to hear the heart of the Father as He speaks to His children. And this is what He says. And I will see to it. How many think it's going to happen? When God says, I will see to it. You've got to know that this is going to happen. I will see to it that the Egyptians load you down with gifts, not some little trinkets. It's going to be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You'll be loaded with an abundant blessing when you leave. That's what it says. Uh, you'll be loaded down with gifts when you leave, so that you'll no, by no means go out empty-handed. You're going to be abundantly blessed. You're going to be compensated or restored for, for your years in bondage. God is good. Amen. 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 And it goes on to say uh, that uh, in verse 22 it says, Every woman will ask jewels, silver, gold, the finest clothes from her Egyptian master's wife and neighbors. You will clothe your sons and daughters with the very best of Egypt. Hallelujah. I love that. This is God recompensing the children of Israel uh, for all their labors and, and, and they're really impoverishing the Egyptians. Gold, so how many would like some new jewelry today? Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I woken all the ladies up anyway. <laughs> And we saw in the same way that the, as the Jews prospered uh, through Passover, that we now, as new believers, also prosper because of the cross. And we read 1 Corinthians 1.5, where it says, For in, in Him, in Jesus, you have been enriched in every way. And again, I ask you, in how many ways? In every way. In every way. In every way. In all your speaking and all your knowledge. So you've been enriched in your finances, in your health, in your wisdom, uh, in, in your spirit, and in your body. In every way you, you could possibly be in. No part of your life has been left untouched. You have been enriched in Christ. 
And so we see that Martin Luther talked about the great exchange. And, uh, you know, we, we see this taking place at the cross. How uh, Christ took our sins and he gave us his righteousness. He took our sickness, he gave us his health. He took our poverty and he gave us his prosperity. He took our bondage and he gave us his freedom. I think that's what we're yes. for. It's really Thank good you. news. This is what the gospel's all about. Then we looked at uh, how um, Abraham and Melchizedek broke bread in, in uh, Genesis 14, remember? And uh, they, they broke bread, they had the wine, and verse 15 starts with the, these words, after these things, contextually, after the breaking of bread. Uh, so that's, that's what's happening, uh, and th there were certain promises that God made after these things. After these things, after what things? The bread and wine that they broke bread with. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. These benefits are available to us if we exercise faith for them. I mean, you only get what you believe for. Okay? So if you believe for salvation, you get salvation. But you might not be healed. But if you believe for salvation and healing, you can be saved and you can be healed. You know, and you can go on for all the blessings. It's what you believe for is what you get. So what are the benefits if we exercise faith? We can have the word of the Lord. Wow, what do we need? The word of the Lord. You know, Fear not. It's a promise of peace. Uh, hearing the word of uh, the Lord is the promise of guidance. I am thy shield is the promise of protection. I am thy exceeding great reward is the promise of prosperity. We looked at that uh, in depth uh, last week uh, or the week before. And so I want to draw your attention to something else as we start today. Father, I just pray that there would be clarity and wisdom for all that uh, here this morning, for those and for as I speak, Lord, that you just uh, let, unfold this and uh, your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about the, the, the seven feasts of Israel. Not all seven. I'm just going to focus in on the Passover. Um, but it, it's very interesting. I want to draw your attention to Leviticus uh, 23 and verse 2. Ever wondered, where do they, the people get this idea that the, 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 uh, the, the feasts of the Lord are God's prophetic timetable? You know, they say, ah, oh, you know, Jesus fulfilled the early feasts and, you know, you know, he's going to come back and he's going to fill, fulfill the data feast. You ever get, wonder where theologians get that concept from? Well, it's from this very verse, Leviticus uh, 23 and verse 2. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be a holy convocation, even these are my feasts. When you go back into the, into the Hebrew, you begin to see that uh, the, the, the Hebrew word for feasts is moed, M-O-E-D. Moed means a set or appointed time, a time or a season. So the feasts are uh, to be at a set or appointed time uh, or a season. Okay? The word conversation, uh, a convocation, I keep on saying convocation, uh, is, the, is the Hebrew word mikra. And mikra means a rehearsal. And, uh, or a recital. 
We've all been to rehearsals, we've all been to a recital. Uh, they normally revolve around a play. And you need to remember that a lot of the, the Jewish people back in biblical days couldn't read. And so God got his message across to the Jewish uh, nation through these plays, these recitals, these rehearsals of the feast. They, they rehearsed out this play so that the, the people could see the play and remember the points that were being made uh, from the individual feasts. So that's how they get uh, the, uh, the, the prophetic timetable. Because when you put those two words together, the feasts of Israel are a re rehearsal of events that will take place at an exact time in the future. So the feasts are God's prophetic timetable. That's where they get that from. And that's how we begin to understand what God is doing. So the feast I'm interested in today is the feast of Passover because it deals with the bread and wine. And that's what we've been looking at. But you know, before I go into that, I, I, the Bible is rich in powerful imagery and symbolism. And, you know, if we look at that, we can see uh, added truths that enrich our, our walk with Christ. Uh, uh, let me just uh, talk about the, the imagery of the, of the Passover just for a second. Uh, Passover takes place where? 14th day. Yeah, in which country? Egypt. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. But you're absolutely right, it is the 14th day. But it takes place in Egypt. That's right, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, praise God. So, Egypt is a type of the world, okay? Pharaoh is a type of the devil, uh, and Egypt itself is represented by the servant. Do you remember uh, that the, the headdress on Pharaoh's crown had a serpent? Do you remember that? And you, you've all seen pictures of, that, of the serpent depicting uh, 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 Pharaoh, the, the head of the uh, nation. So, okay. Having got that involved, let's look at the Passover. The Passover is all about the blood of the lamb, the blood, the blood applied to the doorpost and the lintels of the house uh, were there to save those who put their faith and trust. And when the destroyer, the angel of death, passed over, he would come and look at the entrance of the door. And if the blood was there and applied to the doorpost and the lintel, the angel of death would pass over. So the destroyer would, would leave them alone. So passing over, and that's where the name comes from, as, as we've really said. Okay, but I want to look at this from 40,000 feet, the big prophetic picture, if you like. And I, this, this is a glorious picture. The Passover is all about how the blood of the Lamb destroys the serpent. You know, it's how the blood of Jesus overcomes the works of the devil. That's the greater picture. This is uh, something I found very exciting. So, you know, it's crushing the serpent, how Jesus destroys the devil's work. I'm excited about that. Amen? Amen? That's the big picture. There. Okay. So, the lamb has overcome the serpent. We're not here to, to mourn a corpse. We're here to celebrate a conqueror. Jesus yes. triumphed over the death. Okay, so we're going to look at the bread and the wine, the, the, the blood and the body of Jesus from a Jewish perspective this morning. And it's very interesting as we begin to look at this Jewish perspective, drawing truths from a Passover Seder. Uh, we did a Passover Seder some years ago, we haven't done one for a little while, um, but I, I want to draw some of the truths that, that we looked at uh, at that Passover Seder, specifically related to the bread and the wine. Um, so, this really depicts some really important information for us. 
And as we begin to look at this, uh, you're going to see the bread and wine in this rehearsal. You see an incredible uh, picture beginning to develop. The Jews have three names for bread. I don't know if you know that. Uh, each of them is important because they all contain a secret message hidden in their words. And so we, we're going to look, uh, I'm not going to give them to you right now, but as we go through this morning, I'm going to give you the different words and the, and the coded meaning for bread that is given in there. So would you like to know the codes? Would you like to know what's in Yes. Okay, I've got two people. Come see me afterwards. We'll go to another message this morning. Praise God. Hello, Zoomers. Hello, Hello, there. Sorry, forgot you. <laughs> Praise God. So, um, it's, it's, it's important that we see this wonderful revelation that will come to pass. Now, I know that you all know this, that leaven is a type of sin. And so, if there's no leaven, it's a type of sinlessness or purity, right? So, um, it's important that we understand that because as we begin to, to look at this whole feast... You're going to see an amazing thing begin to unfold. So the Bible instructs uh, the, the Jews before the Feast of Unleavened Bread that they had to go throughout their house and cleanse their house and, and search out for any leaven. And the way they would do that was the head of the household would normally take a candle and he would go into every nook and cranny searching out uh, for any leaven, any crumbs of bread that were yeast or anything like that. And if he found some, he dare not touch it because it's a symbol of sin. And so he had a feather and a wooden spoon. And so he, he put the, the spoon down there like a, like a dust tray and he used the feather to pick up the crumbs of, of leaven. And then he would carry on his, with his search. And when he had searched the whole house and everything, where he was sure that the, all the leaven had been removed, he takes the, the, the spoon, the wooden spoon with the leaven in, he takes the candle and he takes the feather and he rolls it in a cloth and throws it into the fire. Now, now the house is cleansed or purged of leaven. Okay. And so uh, we, we, at that particular point, uh, they're getting ready... Uh, to begin the, the Passover meal, they can enjoy that down, they all sit down. And the head of the house's duty is to explain to the, those younger generation all about the Passover, its meanings and its significances and all, all the hidden messages that are contained within them. And so uh, we see that he explains how the angel of death passes over and how God prospered Israel when they left making restitution. There was one aspect that we haven't talked about yet. And that was when Israel left Egypt, they left in haste. And so they, they made bread for their journey in haste, but it contained no leaven because they were doing it quickly. They didn't have time to prove the dough and wait for the leaven to work through. So they did it very quickly, and uh, that, that's, um, that's how it happened. Now, according to Jewish custom and tradition, even today, this is exactly what they do. From the time you mix the flour and water together to make the dough to the, to the end of the breaking process is 18 minutes. Okay, now this is interesting. It's not scripture, but this is the tradition that the Jews done. Okay? 18 minutes from beginning of the process to the end of process. How many of you think that that, that might be a, a little quick to, to eat yeah, there? You know? It could be a little bit doughy, you know? And that's the whole reason 
that, uh, that they cook it over a very high heat. And to make sure that it's properly cooked, they make holes in the bread and um, to allow the heat. And I'm just going to grab a piece of matzah here. I don't know if you can see that. Yes, we've got it. Can you see holes. the light shining through? Yeah. The little holes and the, there's some stripes in there. We're going to look at that. Oh, careful. Too many. Okay. Sorry. 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 Okay. So, as you can see, there's some burn marks on there because they, they cook this very quickly because the whole process has got to start and be finished in 18 minutes. So, you have these scorch marks. Um, and if you hold it up to the light, I, I will be passing this out to you in a second. You can have a look at it and you can see the holes that are in here ostensibly to uh, allow for the quick cooking process. Okay, so praise God. We're going we're gonna to move on. Just uh, very interesting. Did you know Messianic Jews today believe that this is exactly the way that Jesus celebrated uh, the, the Passover? Just like this, we're going to look at it again. Okay, so if you look at the leaven, okay, it's unleavened bread. And the first thing you'll notice is that it's flat, isn't it? Okay, that's because there's no leaven in there. There's no yeast to make it rise. And they've poked it with holes to let the heat in. Uh, and uh, you have these uh, stripes here where, the, where the, the holes are, and you've got the scorch marks. Okay, now... So, again, the scorch marks are from the high heat, okay? In Jesus' day, they didn't have microwaves or induction-top <laughs> cookers, did they? They cooked everything over an open fire. And as a result of that, uh, sorry, if you can just hold that thought till the end, um, as a result of that, um, uh, it was a, a case of the matzah being burnt. Undoubtedly, Jesus' matzah had scorch marks in it. And so, we begin to see something quite incredible. Fire in the, in the Bible is a symbol of what? It's a symbol of judgment. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Amendigo were thrown into the fire because they were being judged by the king. The fire of Sodom and Gomorrah was a fire of judgment. And so, symbolically, fire always represents judgment. The next thing you'll notice is that there are stripes in the matzah. Okay? So, now let's begin to put it together and begin to see what this is actually telling us. Okay, Jesus said that he was the bread of life. Okay, the bread points to Jesus. He is the pure, sinless, unleavened bread of life. Okay, who uh, has gone through the fires of judgment on our behalf. He was pierced and striped. Yes, by his executioners. Isn't that amazing? Further to that, uh, Dr. Seth Purcell said, the Jews call the, the, the matzah lachemini. And lachemini literally means the bread of affliction. How many of you know that Jesus was afflicted? Amen. The bread points to Jesus. Okay? It says this, that uh, Jesus was bruised and afflicted for our sins. And when Jesus was about to break bread with his disciples, he broke it in half. Okay? And uh, he passed half around for for everybody to share, and this is what we will do later. Uh, the other half was wrapped in linen, 
and, and was then hidden away. And we'll get to that in a, in a second. I want to tell you about the process just prior to the breaking uh, of the matzah, uh, because it's very interesting. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we did, uh, esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The lechem, only the bread of affliction. The hidden message here in the matzah is that the bread is a picture of Jesus as Saviour. The pure, unleavened bread that was afflicted on our behalf with the stripes and the pierce. That this points to Jesus. Hallelujah. So the first hidden message about the master is that Jesus is our Savior. Aren't you glad Jesus is your Savior? Amen. Okay. As the family celebrate in a traditional seder, they have a, a they have a bag. Okay. Unfortunately, I couldn't get a bag in time to to show you. Um, they call it a, a matzah tosh, uh, T O S H, and uh, it's it's a simply a bag that has compartments in it, and there's got three compartments. And what what every a rabbi does, or every uh, Jewish family does at Passover, is they take the, the matzah and they put the matzah in the three compartments. Uh, they, they, the matzah are together, but they are separate. They don't touch one another. Okay. So, uh, according to Jeffrey Miller, the three pieces of matzah are placed in the unleavened, uh, unleavened sinless bread into one bag with three compartments. The bag is called the matzotosh, uh, and the compartments don't touch each other. They are together, but separate. Separate, but together. Okay. I wonder if there's a meaning there somewhere. Every Orthodox rabbi does this at his home in Passover. What do you call the three pieces of matzah? Not every Jewish rabbi will tell you, but a lot of them will tell you the three pieces of matzah symbolize the unity. Whoa! The unity, that's very interesting. Okay, so, three pieces of matzah that are one, together but separate, separate but together, but called the unity. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? A beautiful picture of God. Okay, so... We're picking up the, the, the symbol, the symbolism here. Three that are one. It's amazing. Why don't Jewish people see it? And there's a there's a verse of scripture that tells us that I want us to look at this morning, and um, I want to see. It says it's found in Second Corinthians chapter three and verses fourteen. It says this. But their minds were made dull, for until this day the veil remains when the old covenant is read. It is not removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Only in Christ is the veil taken away. I want to say to you, Jesus Christ is the key to the scriptures. Jesus is the key to, to every book in the Bible. Jesus is the key. And if you can understand that, the Bible is going to open up to you. Because in, in, in Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the great high priest. Jump into the New Testament. It's still applying. We can go through every single one. But for the sake of time, Matthew, he's the Messiah. Mark, he's the Holy One of God. Luke, he's the Son of Man. And in John, he's the Good Shepherd. Every book of the Bible is about Jesus. Amen. He is the master key that under, un, unlocks our understanding of what the Scriptures are. So when you read the Old Testament, look for Jesus. Mm. He's there in shadows and types and in forms. 
very important that we understand that. So, remember what Jesus said to, to the scribes and Pharisees? He said, you search the scriptures for you believe they give you eternal life. And the scriptures point to me. The scriptures point to me. So when we look at the Passover, the scriptures are supposed to point to Jesus. Amen. So we begin to look at, you know, some of the, 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 the Jewish people, some of the Hebrew folk uh, will, will tell you that the three pieces of matzah represent Isaac, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they say that, you know, that Isaac, they break the middle piece of matzah because Isaac uh, was sacrificed. Well, there's a few problems with that interpretation because uh, Isaac was never sacrificed and he was never broken. And still to this day, many of the Jews can't adequately explain why they break the middle piece of matter. They don't fully grasp the significance of it. And I'm going to show, show you why and explain it to you as we go on. But of course, with the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we can see that the three compartments of the matter trust could clearly mean the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the triune God. One God in three persons, separate but together, uh, together but separate, all in perfect unity. Amen. Brooker says, in actual fact, the matter didn't look back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It looks forward to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. So the second hidden message in the Master is the revelation of Jesus as God. He is the middle piece of matter. If the, if the Matzotosh represents the, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then the middle piece of the Godhead is Jesus. And so as, as we're breaking bread, as the Jews are breaking bread, they're acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. We're still looking at the bread, okay? And uh, at the dinner table, they reach into the, the matzotosh, into that little cover, and they take out the middle piece of uh, matzah, and they break it. And that's where we, we got up to just now. They break the middle piece of matzah. Uh, half of it, they pass around for everybody to eat. The other half, as I said, uh, was wrapped up in a linen cloth and hidden away out of sight uh, until later on in the service when it's brought back in the meal. So... The Seder dinner, uh, the key is the middle piece of matzah, out of the unity. The Father, the Son is what they do this to. Okay, now, as we move on, okay. So they take the Son, the pure, sinless, unleavened bread of life, who was judged, pierced, striped. They hide it for a while, only to be returned later in the meal. This is depicting the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture, you know. And uh, it's, it's just really quite something. Jesus was crucified. He was broken, the, the bruised, uh, and then buried out of sight for three days. He was hidden in the grave before his resurrection. Jesus, the bread of life, the pure, sinless, unleavened bread, the middle piece of matzah, the lachemani, the bread of affliction, broken for us, representing his death, wrapped in linen, just as Jesus was wrapped in linen, hidden, representing his burial, and on the third day, brought back, resurrected. Praise God. So the third secret of the hidden matzah is a revelation of Christ's ministry. It's the heart of the gospel. It's his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And it's found right here in this Jewish Seder service. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. 
Traditionally, if you go to if you go to somebody's uh, house and they're Jewish, um, there, there's a little bit of skullduggery that goes on because uh, normally one of the little children actually uh, sneaks off with the with the the matzah that's wrapped in a, in a linen cloth and they go and hide it. Uh, that's we know that's Jesus going into the grave, but uh, in the traditions, the, the little child goes and hides it, and then later at the end of the meal, somebody goes and looks for the matzah, which is a picture of the body of Jesus. I was sitting there and suddenly it struck me in the street. I thought, man, that's just like Mary. Do you remember? Mary was looking for Jesus and she says to the gardener, says, Sir, where have you laid him? Tell me that I might go and find him. Yes. <laughs> so, wow, it's there. It fits perfectly well there. You know, they sometimes ransom the, the back the, the, for the kids. They, they ransom back the, the, the mansa. It's usually a little uh, price is paid. A small chocolate or something like that is given to the child who discovers the hidden mansa. We could say it this way. They were rewarded or blessed for finding the mansa, for finding Jesus. Yes. How many have been blessed because you found Jesus? <laughs> and, and that's really what it's signifying. This is really what it's saying to us. Wow. You see, we were bought with a price. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. First Corinthians 6.20. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man, the middle piece of matzah, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus ransoms us, pays the price for our salvation, and it's right there in the Jewish Seder. It's, a, it's, it's incredible that it's so clear. While we're dealing with the middle piece of matzah, the unleavened bread, I said to you that there are three names for it. First of all, it is called matzah. means unleavened. Uh, we talked about the lachemini, and the, and the lachemini is uh, the, the bread of affliction. And uh, the third one, the middle piece of matzah, they, they also have a special name for it. They call this the afikoman. Now I want you to think for a second... Because afikomen is Greek. And it's very interesting that a Greek word would find its way into a Jewish Seder. Isn't it? Everything else in, in the Jewish Seder is written in Hebrew. But here, the third piece of matzah is written in Greek. It's called the afikomen, that which comes at the end. And so some of the rabbis will tell you that that means dessert. So you, you get a little piece of that. Because it comes at the end of the meal, so you get a dessert. I don't believe that that's the correct interpretation. Okay. The ceremony of the afikom and how, how this Hebrew, uh, this Greek word gets involved in this Jewish ceremony has been lost in time. And not everybody agrees with the, the interpretation. But I want to just share a couple of things with you. I want to quote Professor David Daub. Uh, he is a Jewish biblical and legal scholar at Oxford University. Um, so he obviously has a couple of degrees to his name. Um, and Professor Daub argues that the word afikomen comes from the Greek word afikomenos, which literally means the coming one or he who has come. Oh. We're talking about the middle piece of matzah, the sun, the coming one, he who has come. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I think that's quite incredible. In the light of what we see, and I believe that this is probably the correct interpretation uh, of, of what the Afikoman is, it clearly reveals who he who has come. Typologically, 
uh, it's just absolutely incredible and amazing to me. I just, I'm stunned as I look at all this. So the last secret of the hidden matzah is a revelation for the Jews that he is Yeshua, HaMashiach. He is Jesus, their Messiah. Hallelujah. He who has come. So let's just look at the wine now for a few minutes. And I need to tell you a couple of things about the wine that is celebrated at the Jewish Seder. Every Jewish Seder uh, is divided into two parts. You have four cups of wine uh, that remind you of four promises. I'll get to those in a moment. Um, but the, but uh, every time you drink from the cup of wine, you're remembering a particular promise. Four cups, four promises. First cup, first promise. Second cup, second promise, and so on. And so the, the names of the four cups are these. Sanctification, Judgment, Redemption and the cup of blessing. I'm going to test you on this in a second. No. <laughs> okay, but it, it, it is interesting. Now, Professor um, Professor Israel Yuval of the Hebrew University. Now, get this: he's professor of the Hebrew University. I, what I'm going to share with you is simply stunning. Okay, because of its Jewish setting, that this man in Israel uh, is is leading and teaching uh, these things. And this is what Professor Yuval says. He claims that the current Passover Seder traditions include many ceremonies and elements that have been adopted from the ancient Jewish disciples of Yeshua. (laughs) Messianic Jews of old. You know, we tend to think of Messianic Jews as something relatively new. But they go right back to the time of Jesus. There were many, many Messianic Jews in the time of Jesus. In fact, in the early church, the early church was was mostly Jewish. There were very, very few Gentiles in the early church. Later that happened uh, in in Acts chapter 10 uh, at Cornelius' house, then the Gentiles. But for the first uh, 20 years or so, um, the, the, the church was exclusively Jewish. Dr. Soret says, these traditions from the ancient rabbis go back to the birth of the early church where most of the, the church was Jewish. Okay. What amazes me now is that if you ask the Jewish people what the Seder is all about, they truly don't know. They, 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 don't, they have an interpretation that doesn't quite fit the facts. Um, and, um, but uh, it, it really is quite sad that uh, you begin to look at this. Okay. So, why is this happening? Remember the Lord says the veil is only taken away in Christ. Because they rejected Jesus. I want to say this as lovingly and as sensitively as I can. Because I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. But because they've rejected the Lord, the veil has remained upon their eyes. And so when you share this, they don't see it. Because Jesus is the key to understanding the scriptures. And so... um, that they've rejected that their minds have become dull. Romans 8, 11 says, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. To this very day. But the day is coming when all Israel shall be saved. Hallelujah. What a day of rejoicing that'll be. And I'm telling you, that day can't be far from, far from us now if you've got uh, professors in Hebrew universities teaching these kind of things. I believe that there's a whole generation coming out of the universities that have a messianic understanding of the scriptures. It's a glorious thing. You're going to see Israel begin to really move into the messianic movement. I really believe that with all my heart. 
And what was that going to be like? It's going to be a day of rejoicing. The Bible says, describes it's going to be like life from the dead. It's going to be glorious when the Jews come to saving knowledge of Jesus. Dr. Golan Baroshi, now this is what really, really blew me away. Dr. Golan Baroshi says, the first mention of the Jewish Seder in Jewish records, you know where it is? In the Brit Hadashah. It's in the New Testament. The first records of the Brit Hadisha are contained in the, uh, in the Brit Hadisha of the thing. Remember, the Jews wrote the Bible, okay? And according to Professor Yuval, the origins of the modern day Seder uh, are in the New Testament. You tell a Jew that. Hey, do you understand where, where your historic writings for the for the Seder are? It's in the New Testament. I have nothing to do with the New Testament, thank you. But it's there. Stunningly, I want to read you something. <coughs> I want to quote three doctors, Dr. Sorif, Barashi, and Dr. Pastel. Quote, this is what they said. <coughs> Excuse me. Even though Exodus gives us some of the basics, unleavened bread, the lamb, and bitter herbs, the first historical account of the ceremony as we know it today is shockingly found in the New Testament Gospels, end quote. <laughs> wow. And this is what they're teaching in the Hebrew universities. I'm telling you, Jesus is preparing the Jewish people for revival. He's coming back. He's gonna, they're going to see that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm preaching better than you, Amen. <laughs> 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 Put it this way, we're just stunned and listening. <laughs> <laughs> stunned is okay. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, so we're still looking uh, at the wine, all right? So the four cups represent the four promises made to Israel while she was still in bondage. Okay, each time a person drinks of the cup, they're reminded of the promise, one of the four promises that God made in Exodus. So they drink from the first cup, first promise, and so on. So what are these promises and where do we find them? We find them in Exodus 6. The promises all start with the words, I will. This is a covenant that God is making and he says these are the terms of the covenant. I will. Exodus 6 and verse 6 says this. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord your God and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rid you of their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take, uh, take you for me a people, and I will be your God, and you shall be, the, and I shall be the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Wow. Professor Yuval again has this to say: the Last Supper that we have in the Scriptures should be called the Last Seder. Do you remember what, how, how that all came about? The, the, the disciples came to Jesus and said, where shall we celebrate the Passover? Yeah. And he said, he told them basically to go find a man and, and they went to the upper room to celebrate the Passover. It was a Seder. That's what they went to celebrate. They were celebrating the Seder. And, and then it's recorded in the New Testament. So the Last Supper should be referred to as the Last Seder, didn't it? Jesus was celebrating. I want to give you an overview, just recapping, because I know I'm giving you a lot of information this morning. Um, I can't write it all down. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. You can just catch it up on, on, uh, uh, oh, yes, on, on the tape. So. Um, 
But I want to overview, remember that the, the middle piece, the Afikon, uh, representing he who has come, uh, has returned in the middle of the, after the, the ceremony, after the supper, okay, at the end. Now, we don't know this part for sure, okay, because the scriptures don't explicitly say it, they don't rule it in, but they don't rule it out, okay, either. But it's in keeping with the theme of the Passover dinner. So I'm not teaching this as doctrine at this point, but uh, just remember the Passover meal is about the bread and the wine, the meal eaten in haste. Okay, so they come. Now Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he wants to uh, break bread. And I, I want to uh, share with you uh, what, what he actually says, um, because it's really important. Remember the symbol. Uh, he takes the African, he reaches into... Now, one of two things either happen. He either reaches afresh into the Matsatosh and takes the middle piece representing the sun, or he takes the African that was wrapped and returned uh, now in the service. So, But both of them represent Jesus. Both of them represent the sun. So it doesn't matter whether he's reaching into the... Uh, the Matsutosh, or whether he's unwrapping the African because they all relate to Jesus. And he takes it from the unity, remember, from the three. So the son is called the African, meaning the coming one, or he who has come. And he does what? He breaks it. What a beautiful picture. Luke 22, verse 19 through 20. Jesus tells us what happened next. Jesus took bread and gave thanks. It says, Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Mata Ha'alam Ha'motzi Lachem Min Haritz And what that means is praised are you, Adonai our God, ruler of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. Remember that. He brings forth bread from the earth. And so Jesus then breaks the bread and I'm, I'm just going to break a little piece here and I'm going to ask Christine if you would pass this out, and I'd like you to take uh, break a little piece off, and so this would go around. Uh, don't be too generous. I'm only giving you a half. <laughs> but as as you look at it, look at the stripes and look at the lines, and just remember the symbolism. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to ask you to hold the bread. We're not going to eat it just yet. We're going to um, we're going to look at it in a second. While Christine is doing that, let me just give you uh, some uh, pointers about... Remember, the scriptures are all supposed to point to Jesus. Okay? He is the key to our understanding. Jesus was born in where? Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem. That's where he was born, meaning the house of bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the one uh, who gives life. And he holds up the, he holds up the bread. He holds up the lachemony. The bread of affliction. And, and he says this. The bread, the, the bread that striped, pierced, and burnt. And he says this. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. How incredible. Do you understand the significance as Jesus is saying that to his disciples? He's saying, hey, the, the, the covenant that the prophet spoke about, the new covenant, we are going to cut a new covenant, is going to happen. 
And this is my body. It's going to be afflicted. It's going to be pierced. It's going to be striped. And my blood's going to be shed. And I'm going to cut a new covenant with you. Hallelujah. So, this is my body, which is done, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Isn't that amazing? But you know there's more. There's more. Do you remember the Jewish blessing? I said it in Hebrew because it's, it, it, it has a very important thing. I gave you the interpretation. It means that uh, praised are you, Arden, our, our God, our ruler of the universe who bringeth forth bread from the earth. Brings forth bread from the earth. Jesus is the bread of life that comes forth from the earth, from the grave. It's a picture of his resurrection. It comes forth from the earth. He's resurrected. And they, the Jews say this every Seder, every Passover. Thank you. Bless you. Praise God. Praise God. Isn't that an amazing picture? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus knew that even though his life was perfectly pure, that he was unleavened, uh, that he was about to experience judgment on our behalf. He would pass through the fires of affliction. He would be broken, striped, and pierced for our sins. This is what we remember. This is what Jesus did for you and I, that we might be declared the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm just going to ask you to, as we remember what Jesus has done and how, how this is so beautifully portrayed in the Jewish Slater, to remember that Hamashiach, Jesus, our Savior. Let's break bread together. Thank you, Lord. die to hand out the, the, the wine at the moment and if you just hold it for a second when you receive it we'll take it together thank you Jesus goes on at the Seder he says likewise also the cup after supper notice when he's taking it the cup after supper so he's identifying it as the third cup, because you drank two cups before supper, and now the one after supper would be the third cup, and it represents the third promise. Because remember, two before and two after. So the third cup represents the third promise, and Jesus would say, And what that means is, Praised are you, Adonai, our God. Ruler of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And they drink from the cup. Interestingly, this third cup that, uh, that they're about to drink from is called by the rabbis the cup of redemption. How amazing is that? The cup of redemption. And it relates to the third promise. So, what did Jesus say? Uh, can I have one of those, please? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. you are so kind. definitely bringing it up to you. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. So, the third come. Jesus takes it. He says the blessing. 
This is the cup of redemption. And the third promise that was given in Exodus is the promise of redemption. I want you to all look at me just for a moment. Some of you are writing and taking notes, and I appreciate that. But I want you just to see what the third promise is that relates to the third cup. The third promise is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? So Dr. Rogers says, Passover and Easter are inextricably linked. It's impossible to separate them. And so the the, the fourth cup, so Jesus drank from the the third cup, the cup of redemption. He cut a new covenant, and uh, that's the new covenant that you and I are, are bound into. And at the end of the, the say that they would drink the fourth cup. And this is going to now represent the fourth cup. And so the fourth cup is called the cup of praise or the cup of blessing. And so when we look back at how Jesus perfectly portrayed in, in, in the Seder dinner, um, I, I just want to praise God. And so I'm going to ask you if you, if you would just... Uh, Join me in, in drinking the, uh, the, the symbol of the, the, the wine. And then if we could give the Lord the praise that's worthy of His... I mean the praise that's worthy of His honor. Hallelujah. Thank you for the new covenant in your blood, Lord. We take this in remembrance of you. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Glory to your name. Oh, we give you praise. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Oh, make his praise glorious. Oh, he inhabits the praises of God. Hallelujah. He inhabits the praises of his people. Oh, Lord, we glorify. We thank you. What a Savior. What a God. What a mighty God. Loving our soul. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't it beautiful that right here, the Jewish Seder, is the picture that is so clearly portraying Jesus Christ. And yet when the the Jews partake of it, they don't always get it. Because Jesus is the key that unlocks the scriptures, that locks their understanding to the interpretation of the scripture. As soon as you see Jesus, the whole Bible becomes open to us. Hard to believe because they're so astute. Absolutely. You know, it's just a blindness. That's right. Go if you don't mind. think they believe that it represents um, a Savior that is yet to come. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, they, 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 yes. They, that would be part of the interpretation, yes. But they, they look back at the, at the three pieces of mats that have been Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then they can't explain why Jacob wasn't sacrificed. He wasn't broken. So why did they break it? It, it doesn't quite fit, you see. So there are problems with that interpretation. The only interpretation that really fits is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Of course we know that. So praise God. So <clears throat> Glory. I just want to... Just ask if we can take a few moments and pray and just just thank God for all that He has done for us. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. How rich you are, how rich you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Yes, Lord, we thank you that we can just come before you today and give you thanks and give you praise for who you are. Lord, we give you, um, uh, we look, look upon you as our sacrifice, Lord, yes. your arms stretched out, Lord, and we thank you that you did this for us, for each one of us. And Lord, we praise your name and we thank you that we can stand before um, the throne of God and stand redeemed and pure and righteous in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. We thank you for this, um, the understanding, Lord, that um, you are the one who came to, to bring us new life, to bring us salvation, to redeem us, Lord. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that these truths are being taught in the Hebrew University. I just pray that you would give those students a revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, that their, their eyes would explode with the revelation and their understanding, that their hearts would be set on fire as they begin to understand. Uh, Lord, this tradition that goes back thousands and thousands of years is really a perfect picture of Jesus and is recorded uh, in the scriptures. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for, for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Lord, we love them. We appreciate them so much. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We ask that you would watch over them as a nation. And, Lord, that you would bring them to salvation in Yeshua HaMashiach. Lord, we pray that you would save them and minister to them. Lord, thank you for the time that we've been able to share together. Uh, Lord, bless Christine, uh, Lord, that has brought along the the... the Unleavened bread for us this morning. Really appreciate that. We ask that you would bless her and bless her family. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I want to give you just a couple of quick announcements. Um, I went round to see Kathy yesterday. I spoke to her on the phone and she sounded absolutely terrible. And I went round to see her and she could um, hardly come to the door. So I, I bought her a meal and stuff like that. But um, she's, she's really, really ill, so we're going to pray for her this morning. And, uh, you know.